He's locked up. It's on. That's all right. You're right. And for the last few weeks, we've been going through uh, John's uh, letter, look at lots of elements of what our lives should be like if we're real, genuine, authentic followers of Jesus. And uh, is it working now? Nope. Okay. So I was going to do a bit of an overview, but I haven't got it on my sheet, so it'll be up there. If you turn with me to uh, John's letter, 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to do verses 7 to 21. I'm going to read this morning out of the Message Bible. It brings a little bit of an interesting uh, tilt on it uh, to the Scriptures as it explains them to us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Study at verse 7. John writes, My beloved friends, let us continue to love one another since love comes from God. Is it working now? Okay. Ah, There we are. I'll come back to the scriptures. This is an overview of where we've been so far. So you'll see that uh, we've looked at what is a real, genuine follower of Jesus. We needed to, John needed to remind his readers about sin. The fact that sin was... uh, something that Jesus came to this world to deal with. Pardon me, reminded them about uh, growing in their faith, not to be deceived by false teachers, have that hope that the world doesn't have to uh, know about love. And there was actually two messages on love. To make sure we stick to the truth which we have in the scriptures. And today we're looking at living in love. So, if you, if you know anything of John's writings, both his gospel and, and his letters, the underlying theme of the love of God and the love of God in action through his people is throughout his uh, um, scriptures. So we'll start with uh, the Bible reading again. From verse 7 in uh, 1 John chapter 4. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. Verse 8, the person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God, because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't know love. Anybody counting the number of times that love's been in in this passage already? It's not a trick question, you don't have to do that. This is how God showed us his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. Verse 11. My dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. No one has seen God ever, but if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us. And his love becomes complete in us. Perfect love. Verse 13. This is how we know we're living steadily and deeply in him and he in us. He's given us life from his life, from his very own spirit. Also, we've seen for ourselves and continue to state openly that the Father sent his Son as the Saviour of the world. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's Son participates continuously in an intimate relationship with God. Can I read that again? Everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's son participates continuously in an intimate relationship with God. Isn't that great? That's a promise. That's a fact. That's ours. 
Verse 16. We know it so well. We've embraced it heart and soul. This love that comes from God, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. Verse 17. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on the judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. Verse 18. There's no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear since fear is crippling. A fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is one not yet fully formed in love. We though are going to love. Love and be loved. First we were loved, now we love. He loved us first. If anyone boasts, I love God and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. It's an interesting translation, isn't it? It emphasises the essence of love. But I have a concern when I read that. I don't know if you have this concern. My concern is, what's the love that he's talking about? And uh, it's, it's a love that is an immense love. It's, it's, it's height, it's depth, it's width, width is, is beyond our comprehension. It's unfathomable. It's God's love towards the world. And it's the love that, that consumes John's writing and it should also consume the life of us as followers of Jesus. But I have this concern about this definition of love and I've tried to say this over and over again lots of times. The word in the Greek that's used throughout that whole passage, there's, there's about four different words that can be used for love but this one word is, is the word that's used in this whole passage that we've looked at today. It's the word agape in the Greek. It's that total self-giving for the other person without any expectation of return. It's a sacrificial love. Now, I don't know what you had in your mind when I was reading through that. Uh, You might have had the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. No? I did. That's what I was thinking of when I was preparing this message. But they weren't talking about this sort of love. They were talking about the the brotherly love, the brotherhood of man love. They weren't talking about this sacrificial love that Jesus showed us, that God showed us through Jesus. They weren't talking about this giving to the other person without any expectation. That was not what they were talking about in this song. But this is what John's writing about in this letter. It's this, this love which says, I will put you and your needs before my, me and my needs. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He put the needs of this whole world because of the sickness of sin and the results of sin and disobedience. He put that first and he went to the cross for us as we've remembered this morning. So in the first few verses of this part of the letter, verses 7 to 10 or or thereabouts, 7 to 16 I think it is, John is is trying to redefine, trying to help his readers to understand the, the immensity, the depth of this love that God has shown us. I'm just going to skip over the first few verses fairly quickly because I want to major on verses 17 and beyond. In verses 7 to 9, God is the author of this agape love. He's the one that has shown us what it's like. In other words, he's the one that has shown us this self-sacrificing love through his son. We are the recipients of this love. 
the world is. We are, as followers of Jesus, we are the recipients of this self-sacrificing love of God. God's the initiator of this love, verse 10 tells us. And verse 11 and 12 tell us what our response to God's love should be. We should love one another in the same way. Now, it's alright to be nice to people. It's alright to um, uh, uh, show them care and concern. But this is a greater form of that. It's a going the extra mile type of love. It's a putting yourself out for somebody else. That's what this love is that, that um, John's writing about here. And in verses 12 to 16 we have evidence of God's love in the world. Paul refers to this type of love as well. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, again out of the message it says, I ask him that with both planted firmly on love. Oh, wrong passage, isn't it? Okay. Firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all Christians the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth, test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights. Live full lives in the fullness of God. So if you want to risk it, and it is a risk, if you put yourself out there to, uh, to go the extra mile with people, then it is a risk. But in doing that, you'll understand what the fullness of God is like, what the fullness of God's love is like. I don't know if you counted it, but in the NIV, the word love is mentioned 11 times in that passage. 11 times. You can correct me later if I've counted wrong. And in this section, in verse 17, John says, in this way, love is made complete among us so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. And that, that word complete has an interesting background to it. It means that we uh, will be mature. It refers to maturity. So, so in this way love is made mature among us. We become mature as followers of Jesus. We become mature as we love like God's love. And so John is writing that, that the growing in the, in the life of love is really one of the Essential keys of maturing as followers of Jesus. So if you're becoming a grumpy old person in your old years and you don't care about anybody, mm, is that really what the, um, what the Christian should be? Is that really what the follower of Jesus should be? That we learn to love in a self-sacrificing way. In verse 16, the verse before that, John says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. So remember we're talking about the sacrificial love. It's not just the uh, warm, fuzzy, gooey love. It's, it's, the, it's not just the brotherhood of man love. It's the self-sacrificing love. You have to keep that in the back of mind when you're reading this passage. The love of God is matured in us when we live this way. If I'm growing as a follower of Christ, then I need to be growing in a life of love towards those around me, both those that are followers of Jesus and beyond. If we do that, then two things happen. We seek to know God's love and rely on his love for our lives. And then verse 16, in the second part there, it says, we seek to show God's love, relying on his love or showing his love towards others. So the first part is we're seeking to know God's love 
We rely on his love. Second part is we show God's love. We relay his love to others around about us. So growing a life of love will bring some results in our lives. You may have seen this already in your life or in other people's lives. There will be some, some, some results if you love this way that God wants you to love. The first thing that will happen is we'll have a life of confidence. We'll provided, be provided with a life of confidence. And verse, verse 17 and 18 says uh, this. Well, I missed out verses 17 and 18. So we can live a life of assurance, knowing that's the way God wants us to live. And secondly, we can live a life, or we can live a life of anxiety. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a life of anxiety. I want to live a life of confident assurance that I'm doing what God wants me to do. How do I know that's that's the choice? Verse 18 tells us this. There's no fear in love. What's fear? Anxiety, isn't it? There's no anxiety in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Who wants to be free of fear and anxiety? I do. Because fear has to do with punishment. If we're loving in the way that God wants us to love, there won't be any fear of punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. John's talking about the judgment day to come. Are we afraid of the judgment day? Are we afraid of what, of what might happen to us? But that fear is taken away if we're living the life of sacrificial love that God wants us to do. We can have that fear and that anxiety taken away. That's where I want to be. We can live with that sense of assurance, not anxiety, not fear. Confidence, not confusion. We can realise the, the, the greatness of God and, and what that love brings to us with, with that confidence in knowing who we are and that we're securing God. What happens? We notice our security in God. Paul writes about that in Romans chapter 8. This is a fairly long passage, so bear with me. You know it, I'm sure. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Romans 8, verse 29 to 39. So that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So we can have this security in God that comes out of this confidence in loving like God loves. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? No one. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who has raised life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. I hope you're reassured by that. I hope you have assurance in that that Christ is praying for each of us today. (laughs) Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or COVID, sorry, did I mention that there? Or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, 38, verse 38 says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from 
the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you feel secure in God? Nothing can rip you out of God's hands and that should give us that release from fear and anxiety of anything that we face day to day. We are secure in Christ, through faith in Christ. So realising the greatness of God's love brings me confidence about my security. It also brings me confidence about speaking, that should be speaking for God, not speaking to God. Actually, it could be either, speaking to God or speaking, I think speaking for God's the next one. Ephesians 3 verse 12 says this, In him and through faith in him, that's Christ, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We can speak to God. That's the confidence that we have. Walking in God's love, we can speak to God. There's a story told of a wealthy man sitting in the study of his mansion. There's a knock at the door and the man gives permission to enter. He has, he has uh, employees, uh, servants that uh, uh, meet people at the door. Another man enters the room and bows before the wealthy man and then stands aside waiting instructions. He's the servant. Upon receiving instructions, the servant leaves the room and uh, a little while later there's another knock on the door. The servant enters with another man and introduces him. The man is instructed to have a seat. He and the wealthy man visit, spend some time together. He's a guest and after the visit, that man leaves the room. After a little bit, the door creaks open and a little boy runs in the room and runs up to the wealthy man and jumps up onto his lap and sits on his lap and talks with him about his day. The wealthy man is happy to see the boy and obviously loves him. That's his child. That's his son. That's who we are to God. We're not the servant that gets told what to do. We're not the guest that comes to visit. We're the children that can run into God, sit on his lap and tell him how our day's been. So we can speak to God. That's the confidence that we have if we're walking in the love of God. A third thing that we can have is we can have confidence in sharing about God. Paul says this in Acts Chapter uh, 28, verse 31. Boldly and without hindrance. uh, Sorry, Acts records this. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a description of of, um, Paul. If we're walking in faith, or sorry, love, we're living the love of God, that self-sacrificial love of God, we don't have to fear about the future, we don't have to have any anxiety about the future, we don't have to worry about what people think of us. We can have the freedom to share what we know about God. There have been people throughout history that have taken that on and some of you may know the story of John Wesley. He, uh, I, I mean, if, if anything he was a super pastor in my eyes. Listen to some of the things that he did. <clears throat> he averaged three sermons a day for 54 years preaching more than 44,000 times and doing this he travelled by horseback and carriage more than 200,000 miles or about 5,000 miles a year on horseback and carriage. He published works, as in written works, a four-volume commentary on the whole Bible, a dictionary of the English language, wrote on natural philosophy, wrote on church history, all sorts of writings in that time. He was greatly devoted to pastoral work. 
He, he, he got up at 4am in the morning, worked through to 10pm at night, taking breaks only for meals. At 83 years of age, he was aggravated to discover that he couldn't write for more than 15 hours a day <sighs> without his, his eyes hurting from reading. And at 86, he was ashamed to admit that he could not preach more than twice a day. He was excited that he could share about God with people. That was his, his, his motivation for life. He passed away at 87 years of age. What motivated him? The same thing that motivated Paul. The same thing that mo- should motivate us. God's love for his creation. God's love for mankind. There's a hymn that was written, uh, that Wesley translated from German into English and the words of the hymn goes something like this. Jesus, thy boundless love to me, no thought can reach, no tongue declare. O knit my thankful heart to thee and reign without a rival there. Thine holy, thine alone, I am. Be thou alone my constant flame. So he was committed to speaking about God, sharing about God. And if we have this confidence in knowing God, in loving God, then we can also be confident that we'll stand before God. I wonder, are you confident that you will stand before God one day and he'll say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the promise. In in an earlier part of John's letter he said this, and now children, stay with Christ. Live deeply in Christ. Then we'll be ready for him when he appears, ready to receive him with open arms, with no cause for red-faced guilt or lame excuses when he arrives. Are you ready to stand before God? The Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back again one day. We don't know the hour of the day, but he's coming back and he wants to find a church, followers of Jesus, that are ready to welcome him and are ready to be with him for eternity. So, So growing in a life of love, will provide us with a life of confidence. It will also deliver us from a life of contradiction. Now, that means that there's a... um, Contradiction is a word which talks about uh, uh, statements and ideas being opposed to one another. And I I tried to think about how do I put that into common language. Saying one thing and doing something else, basically. So we are delivered from that. We are delivered from saying one thing and doing something else. We are delivered from saying we love like God loves, but not doing it. So we are delivered from that. And in in verses 19 to to 21 it says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, that's the contradiction. He is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love God his brother. God's love, relaying his love to others, must be sincere, not superficial. It must be, the actions must live up to the words if we are to walk in God's love and the promises that he has for us. I was listening to a song this week and I actually listened to the radio. Anybody still listen to the radio? Yeah, some people do. Yeah. Now, there was a time, oh, gee, last century, I think back now, when if I was listening to a favourite song on the radio, if I wanted to listen to that more than once, 
had to go and buy a vinyl record album or a tape, uh, cassette tape or a CD. And that way I could listen to that song as many times as I like. If I wanted to just rely on the radio, I used to have to listen for a couple of days to hear it again unless it was the latest song. Today is different, isn't it? Today I can go to uh, Spotify or one of the other uh, sites and I can download my favourite songs and listen to them over and over and over again. Isn't that fun? And I just wonder if sometimes we think that Christianity is like downloading the album. It's not. Christianity is not picking and choosing when I listen to what God says. It's being willing to listen to him all the time. It's not picking and choosing when I, when I want to live out the love that God has called me to do. It's doing it all the time. And even though we might do that with our music, it's not an option when it comes to living for Christ. Why? Because he has commanded us to love others. He's commanded us to love one another. He's commanded us to love like he's loved. And not to be saying one thing and doing another thing. Because he first loved us. I wonder, how do we do that, even with people we don't particularly like? Sometimes we just have to. Because that's what God wants us to do. And uh, there are people in this world dare I say people in this town that I don't get along with because I don't agree with their life choices but God still requires me to offer that love to them if needed and that's what we have to do. Do you realise that that's what he did for us? He offered his love to us. (coughs) Excuse me. He offered his love to us when we were not pleasing in his sight. Each of us have lived a life, whether it be younger or older or lots of years or a few years, that has been selfish and self-focused rather than God-focused. He offered his love to us first in the Lord Jesus. For some of us, we're anything but lovable and yet God chose to love us and he still does. And there are people in our world today that God chooses to love even though we might think that they're unlovable. And he will call to himself as he chooses. I wonder if we want to be a a pathway for those people to come to Christ or if we want to be a blockage from them coming to Christ. How do we be a pathway? Be a pathway by living the way God wants us to, by loving the way God wants us to, by learning to live out that love. If you struggle with that, then please come and see me. I'd love to encourage you. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to uh, support you as you work through this. Because he does provide us with a life of confidence. He does deliver us from that life of contradiction, saying one thing, doing another. And he is the one that gives us the strength to live and love the way he wants us to do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that uh, we couldn't do this on our own. I thank you just as we've been reminded throughout the service today that your spirit is within us. You've given us the... uh, the comfort of the guide, the one who strengthens and empowers us to live the way you want us to do. Lord, you've given us the one who will remind us of your love towards us so that we can show that same uh, self-giving, self-sacrificing love to others. Lord, it won't be easy. It wasn't easy for you on the cross. 
And yet we know, Father, that you can change our lives and change people's lives when we're willing to serve you in this way. So, Father, we dare we ask you for opportunities this week to be able to love others like Jesus has loved us in that way which puts others first, our needs second, but shows them the love of Christ in the way we live our lives. Father, that's our prayer. We thank you for your encouragement and direction. Father, we thank you for your strength and your companionship as we seek to live this way, this week. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Joe.